So we're into our series of the cost and <clears throat> the cost of discipleship and the cost of following Jesus. If I can find my words today. And we're in Matthew. If you need a Bible, pop up your hand. We'd love to give you one. Um, somebody will bring you one if you need it. I was going to say it'll come up on the screen, but of course it will not today. So if you want to read it in the... Yeah, see, now it's popular. <laughs> it's not coming up on the screen. <laughs> I will also read it out, of course. But get your screens out, get your Bibles out. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll get going. Father God, thank you for your word. Prepare our hearts just now to hear it, even if we've heard it a million times before. Help us to hear what it is you want us to today, and to take away something, something more of you, some greater understanding of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Being a Christian and a follower of Jesus is a way of life that demands more and promises more. The passage that we're going to look at today has some big issues. And, um, <clears throat> what, sorry? Oh, I get to that in a minute. Do you want? Oh, gosh, the heckling. Matthew 5, 21 to 30. Matthew 5, 21 to 30. I'll get to it. It gives you a chance to find it. Oh, dear. Right. Where am I now? <laughs> so I read this and thought, ooh, murder and adultery. Just the light stuff. Just the really easy stuff. Um, the obvious stuff. But actually, this passage is about uh, relationships and about how our thought life, our attitudes, our motivations, our motivations of our hearts all interact together. And we're going to learn a bit about that. We're being invited in to more. We're having, hopefully, a fuller understanding of the commandments. You'll have heard these ones before, but it's hopefully going to have a fuller understanding for you today. It's not superseding the old. It's the law being fulfilled, revealed. So we're hoping that we're going to deepen our understanding of this. And it's reminded us, hopefully today, that um, we have to keep and create relationships right and good and loving. In fact, it's pretty much what God wants, full stop, go home. He wants a right relationship between us and him, and he wants right and whole relationships between each other here. It's the whole story through the Bible. God created us for that, specifically a lasting life relationship with him, only to be rejected again and again, many times in many ways. It's the story of God working throughout history to restore that broken relationship, ultimately through Jesus. And he's calling us to do the same here on earth, to try and keep our relationships right and whole. And these commandments that we're looking at have actually molded our whole culture. If you think about it, we, we know inherently that murder is wrong. You'd be pressed to find somebody that disagrees. If you do, run away! Um, and a culture agrees that adultery is wrong, that stealing is wrong. It's pretty basic. Not many would argue otherwise. And I know... Uh, non-Christians, and in fact was one myself that said, I'm pretty good at, I mean, I'm not like I've murdered anyone, I'm a pretty good human being, to be honest. And that, you know, that's maybe where we could measure ourselves, just on the murder. Um, but of course, we're being invited into so much more than that as followers of Jesus. He's going to deal with our hearts. Are you ready? 
He's dealing with our self-righteousness, in fact. The fact that we probably still think a wee bit that we can earn our way into the kingdom of God if we could just get things right. We can probably quite happily go all our lives <clears throat> without murdering, hopefully. And um, But could we go around wishing people dead or feeding and growing anger inside of us? As long as it doesn't come out, it'll be fine. No one can read my thoughts. Phew, Jesus can. <laughs> no. We could not commit adultery, but continually lust after people or things everywhere we go, feeding and growing that as well. As long as it doesn't come out, it'll be fine. No one can read my thoughts. We could worship and give to God on a Sunday, yet harbor unforgiveness to friends and families, to folk in church, all in our hearts. And God is definitely not wanting that for us today. He's inviting us into more. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the day, they had this self-righteousness. They've upheld the law. It's all right. We've done okay, but got angry. They've upheld the law, yet talked down to people. They upheld the law, but judged people. And we judge people as well. Outwardly, these big, obvious sins. But who's judging the inward secret under our breath, in our thoughts, in our hearts, sins? He wants our relationships to be whole and right with him and with those around us. And he wants to partner with us in it, our thought and heart life. So what will it cost? So let's read Matthew 5, 21 to 30. You're all ready now. <laughs> You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which means sort of bitter contempt or you idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And then I'm going to make this smooth transition from murder and adultery and anger and lust to uh, Snapchat. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, so Snapchat, you bear with me everyone is an app. I don't have it, but I have used it. It's my confession of the day. My name is Kirsty. I've used Snapchat. It's pretty good fun, to be honest. Um, you take a selfie of yourself, and this app applies a filter to your face. So if you ever need a quick half an hour filler with some primary children, I recommend it. And it makes you maybe look like a really cute dog, or sparkly-eyed being with a rainbow tongue, um, or my favorite one that makes you look so pretty, takes away all the blemishes. So if you're feeling really old and tired, that's the one you want to use that day. Anti-aging, it's beautiful. And so you're thinking, what on earth is your point? 
Um, but online, you might see from time to time the thing that says hashtag no filter. And that is because our phones are artificial intelligence almost, and they can create and make things appear and look like something they're not. So when you see hashtag no filter, it's someone saying, hey, check me out without these fake filters. I'm not tired and old. But what, what my point is, is um, what about our thoughts? What about our hearts? What about our words? I have a saying, and you might even have been with me when I say it out loud, and I say, filter on, Kirsty. So what do I mean in that moment? I mean, don't say that thing out loud that you're thinking. It's not for sharing out loud, meaning it's a bit judgmental or a bit rude or a bit thoughtless or a bit unkind, a bit gossipy, a bit you fill in the blank. But the suggestion of this passage is that you'll be judged for murder, but you'll also be judged for having anger and hate for someone. It's not just filter on Kirsty. It's take that thought captive. As it pops into your mind, a fleeting thought, the thought that crossed your mind, and they will, thoughts will come into our mind. Take it captive. 2 Corinthians 10, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If we could put on our Snapchat filter, it would be hashtag Jesus filter. And I feel like that would be the most real and gritty photo you've ever seen, but still be beautiful. So what would that Jesus filter look like on our thought and heart life? Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, praiseworthy, think about such things. So, your thoughts, your heart, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent and praiseworthy? And then I thought, but hold on, maybe this isn't me being real in the end of the day. Maybe that's not me being true or real. But if real is actually hate or anger or hurt or lust, I think I'm okay with that. I think if I could be a different kind of real, if I could filter my thoughts through the love in the way Jesus did, if we could all do that, what would our relationships look like? And you're maybe thinking, wait, Jesus, he got angry. But let's remember what he got angry about. He got angry about religious hypocrisy or injustice or poverty or oppression. Proper good reasons. Proper good God reasons to get angry. Please don't st stop getting angry about those. They stir us into action. But what do we get angry about, actually? The guy that doesn't drive the way that you think he should. Your children don't do as they're told again. Your colleague rubs you up the wrong way. Your spouse leaves the bowl on the counter again. I'm not looking at anyone. No one here. Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, Ali. <laughs> Someone has a different opinion from you morally or politically. They are wrong. But God is not asking us to always be right. He's asking us to always be love. To always be forgiveness. To always be grace. The world knows not to murder. They know it's wrong. The world knows not to commit adultery. They know it's wrong. They're fine with that, but it's not enough for us. We're invited into more. Following Jesus demands more and promises more. We must also love when others can't. So Sandy, uh, our youngest <coughs> child, struggles with bad dreams. 
And granted, that might be partly our fault for letting him watch the odd movie that's above his age limit. But what happens is we're in bed asleep, and all of a sudden we'll hear the frantic footsteps. And he flings the door open, and he jumps. Well, no, what happens is actually he chooses which side of bed to go to. One side he gets squishy love, one side he gets slightly tougher love. So he comes to my side, and uh, you can figure out which side you think that is. And it really, what happens is I take him back to bed, and we pray, and then he tries to go back to sleep. I go back to bed. I've maybe not even got the covers back over again. I hear thump, 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 thump. The door flings open. His heart's beating. He comes to my side again. We go back to bed. We pray. And sometimes we even have to convince him that there's nobody in the house. So I have taken him downstairs, switched on lights, opened cupboards. Look, Sandy, there's nobody in the house. It's all safe. And eventually, because Sandy's seven, we have to help him with taking control and responsibility for his thoughts. Because we're saying, actually, Sandy, you get to control. He says, I can't stop thinking about this. These thoughts are just keep coming. I can't stop. So we have to say, Sandy, you've got control of your thoughts. And maybe we'll give him some suggestions. Do you remember that time on holiday when? Hmm, do you remember that birthday when? Or what are you going to get for Christmas? And eventually, he calms down. He's figured that out. And he goes to sleep. So we have to say, Sandy, you have control over your thoughts. So what are you going to choose to think about? You have control. We have control over our thoughts. Responsibility over them. So what are you going to choose to think about? I don't know if you ever thought about where your thoughts come from. I thought it was possibly quite a complicated question to ask. All sorts of things. Haven't we got complex brains and psychology and experiences and all of that? But maybe they only come from a few places, I wonder. Just is my opinion here. Who or what you spend your time doing, listening to, reading, watching? You? God? Or the devil? I reckon that might be about it. You can discuss after what you think. So let's take responsibility for our thoughts. Let's put on not just the Kirsty filter, and put on the Jesus filter, that where did this thought come from filter. Captive, take it captive. Put on the is it true filter, the noble filter, the right filter. There are quite a lot of filters to remember. I'm sure you won't remember those, but I reckon if we start with Jesus filter, we might do pretty good. Following Jesus promises more and demands more. It's not enough to bring an offering we must also try and have a right relationship with God and each other. We must also forgive others when others can't. If Ali and I ever fall out, I know that's hard to imagine. Our marriage is probably pretty perfect. Um, <laughs> but sometimes um, wires are crossed, intent is misunderstood, and for a moment we stand against each other. Words are said. Maybe there's silence occurring. I don't know if you've done the marriage course. We have. I'm a hedgehog. Sort of curl up in a ball and just put sharp bits out from time to time. Ali's a bit more rhino. And the question is, who is going to be the first to build the bridge of reconciliation? Who do you think that is? You know, are you giving me a shout? Is it Kirsty or Ali? <laughs> it is always Ali. <laughs> He is always the first to say sorry. He is an absolute legend at this. And what that makes me do in this moment is go, Ugh, how can I be mad at him now? He said sorry. 
wasn't even his fault. <laughs> it's always my fault. So I say sorry back. I maybe don't even feel that sorry yet. But saying it out loud, my heart follows. Like a debt in the context of this passage, if you'd had financial debt, you may well have ended up in prison until you spent whatever sentence was there or someone paid it to get you out. You were the deposit. Unforgiveness is like this. It holds us, stops us from moving forward. And this passage is suggesting it prevents us from coming fully to the altar of God in worship. It suggests that we can't just rock up at church and worship and give our offering. Everything's fine, thanks very much. And it would have been very much back then about how everything looked from the outside. It's all right, again, nobody really knows what's going on in here, in my heart. But verse 23 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly. Do it while you're still together on the way. There's an immediacy to this. Leave your offering there. Hoping it was grain by this point, not a goat. Quickly, it says, sort it out. In fact, on the way to where you're going, sort it out. No waiting until the right moment. No waiting until the dust has settled. No waiting until you've slept in it, until you've figured out your words, until you've eaten enough humble pie. Don't wait. Quickly, it says, do it now. And imagine, in fact, if you've harbored unforgiveness, and you need to seek forgiveness from someone, and you actually ended up with a literal financial debt. Do you think we'd do it a wee bit quicker? I think we might. But effectively, we're on hold. It's really hard to move forward. We must try and forgive when others can't. Otherwise, we're stuck. And thankfully, the solution is forgiveness in the same way that our sentence and debt has been taken away by Jesus. Jesus has paid our debt for us. Nothing was his fault, but he set us free. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So, Ali, it's your turn. You up you get. So, imagine I'm on a Sunday morning and I am worshipping. You can stand there. We've not practiced, so I don't know how it'll go. But I am worshipping God. Yes, God, you're amazing. Thank you, Lord. I open my eyes. Oh, Ali and I probably fell out this morning. Oh, yeah, there you are again. I'm, yeah, I'll just move over here. You're amazing, God. Thank you, God. Oh, there you are again. Luke, I'm slightly distracted. I'll just, can I, can I just get out? No, can't quite. Can't quite. Sorry, thanks, Ali. That'll do. But you get the idea. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. Maybe you are today. It's not easy. It's costly. We're being called to be like Jesus. And of course, it's impossible. But his Holy Spirit can do an amazing inner transformation. That's what we're asking for today. The Holy Spirit comes to change us. 
And I'm sure none of you get road rage, right? Just to give you a small example. I'm sure you love it when there's roadworks at Stonehaven and there's two lanes and there's two camps of people here. Basically, there's the people that you do the use the both lanes thing and they, they go right up to the end. Have you got hands up? Oh, right, okay. And then there's the people, oh, I'm one of them, and then there's the people that think that's cheating. That's cue jumping right there, isn't it? Oh, can you feel the rage already? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> or worse, using the slip road to sky the cue. What about that one? Oh, oh, see? <laughs> So I'm sure none of you would get angry about that. But I was on the receiving end of road rage the other day. And um, I, I got road rage for being kind, actually. So I let two cars out from the slip road. <laughs> and the guy behind me, but the guy behind me was not happy about it. He was raging with me, gesticulating. I was looking in my mirror going, oh, dear. And I waved and smiled. It probably made it worse. And... Um, but I genuinely felt for him. I put my Jesus filter on and I thought, mate, you are having a rubbish day, a tough day, or a tough life. Who knows? There's something going on. If this is what makes you rage like this, what is going on in your life? It's like he reveals a bit of his heart. And you might think it's just driving, but we reveal a bit of our heart in that moment. So the passage then goes on to suggest something more. Removal. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so on, right hand, whole body. And I've struggled with this a bit. I didn't have very much time to delve into it too much. So I'm going to go with plants, which is amusing because I am really not a gardener. I can kill most plants just by looking at them. I've had a cactus for years. They thrive and neglect, so that works for me. But my amazing green-fingered mother-in-law very kindly appears each season with potted plants beautifully made up and puts them on my front step. She even waters them when she comes to babysit. It's fantastic. And she does this one other thing called deadheading. All the gardeners in the room are, yes, I know what this is. And then the plant colors are like, what? And um, what this is, of course, is that the plant flourishes, it has beautiful flowers, and then the time's passed. The flower dies and shrivels up and goes brown. And that might be the end of that plant's time, or in fact, it could have more life to come. If you just nip off that dead bit of flower, there is new growth that comes behind it. And I read a quote, who knew I'd be doing a gardening quote ever in my life? If you're like most gardeners, not me. Deadheading may feel like a tedious, never-ending garden chore, but the new blooms spawned from this task can make the extra effort well worth it. Deadheading in our life. Is there something that you just need to deadhead in your life? And it's constant renewal. It might feel like a constant chore for us. It's difficult. It's hard. It's costly. But God really wants to help us with it. The Holy Spirit really can transform us. Following Jesus promises more and demands more. He makes impossible things seem possible and brings new life constantly. Constantly. 
I read a quote from a Native American guy, and he said, in my mind, it's like I have a black dog and a white dog fighting a battle to see which wins. And someone asked, which dog will win? And he answered, the one I feed. Which thoughts are you feeding? Which attitudes of your heart are you feeding? What's going to grow there? I definitely don't want people today digging up old ground that God's dealt with. But if he's highlighted someone to you today, they're standing in your way at that moment of worship like Ali was. God's inviting you into the fullness and wholeness of a right relationship. But it might mean that when you go home, you make a phone call, you write a letter, you pop in, you walk across the room, the street. You do something now to start the bridge of reconciliation. You say sorry now, even if it wasn't your fault, so that hopefully the same is reciprocated. God wants whole relationships. It's costly. It might cost us our pride. It might cost us embarrassment. It might cost us vulnerability. It might cost us pain. It might cost us rejection. But what we'll gain is relationship reconciled and love in abundance. We're invited into more. We must love and forgive when others can't. We must love and forgive because he's loved and forgived us. So how do we respond to that? <laughs> it's challenging. It's really difficult. I'm not saying it's straightforward at all. It's not. It's complex. But I think we can bring what we have to God. And I think that he'll partner with us.